this evening, 18th chapter of Judges, and we're also going to have a few verses in Ecclesiastes, the fourth chapter. So if you want to kind of grab both of those, that's where we're going to be tonight. Mostly we're going to be in, in Judges. Hey, there's so much stuff. In, you know, you sit there and start reading the, the Old Testament, and I know that I don't like, I'm like you, I don't like to, to go through the, the such and such begat such and such begat such and such. You know, that isn't important to me usually because I'm not a Jew. If I was a Jew, I, it would be important to me for your heritage and, and genealogy, but I'm not into genealogy that much except for as far as that Christ, the line of, that Christ came through. And then, you know, that, of course, you know, we have to be concerned with making sure that that was where it needed to be. But I'm not a genealogy person. And besides that, we have enough problems reading one or two names, let alone a whole three chapters of them, one after the other. So anyway, but I, you know, I'm, so I'm kind of like you when I hit the begats. I kind of skim through and kind of just look at them visually, and I don't even try to go through them. But tucked in between some of these uh, Old Testament books, there's a lot of good little gems. Of course, Judges... Uh, is one that uh, we talked about a little bit this morning about Joshua. And uh, this is kind of going to be a little continuation, a little bit to a certain degree on that, but not really. So Judges chapter 18. And we're going to start with verse, verse 1. And we're not going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to jump down through some verses, but I'll let you know when I change verses so you're not wondering where I went all of a sudden. Now I'm going to be reading out of the Message Bible, so... Uh, Trevor, you should be happy. <laughs> so, in Judges, the 18th chapter, and the first verse. In those days, there was no king in Israel, but also in those days, the tribe of Dan was looking for a place to settle down. They hadn't yet occupied their plot among the tribes of Israel. The Danites set out, sent out five robust warriors from Zorah and Esternal to look over the land and see what was out there suitable for their families. They said, go and explore the land. And they went into the hill country of Ephraim and got as far as the house of Micah. And they camped there for the night. And then jump down to verse 7. The five men left and headed north of Lash. And they saw the people there were living in safety under the umbrella of the Sidonians, quite quiet and unsuspecting. They had everything going for them. But the people lived a long way from the Sidonians, so to the west, and had no tree with the Armenians to the east. When they got back to Zorah and Estadol, their brothers asked, So how did you find things? They said, Let's go for it, it. Let's go for it. Let's attack. We've seen the land, and it is excellent. Are you going to just sit on your hands? Don't dwaddle. Invade and conquer. When you get there, you will find they're sitting ducks, totally unsuspecting. Wide open land. God is handing it over to you. Everything you could ever ask for. So 600 Danite men set out for Zorah and Estal, armed to the teeth. Now jump down to verse 27. So they took the things that Micah had made along with his priest, and they arrived at Laos. The city was quiet and unsuspecting. They massacred the people and burned down the city. There was no one around to help. They were a long way from Sidon and had no treaty with the Armenians. Ladish was at Laosh, was in the valley of Beth Rehob. Now the book of uh, Judges is filled 
with the time of Israel where they would get victories and they were all excited and serve God and then they'd get away from God and then they'd start their, their downward plummet and then they'd end up in bondage and those kind of things. That's what, kind of what the book of Judges is about. They're up here, victories, down here, they're slave, you know, servants and, and those kind of things was going on. So that's what we read. And in, the, in this chapter that we read, we see that Dan was seeking a place to settle in the promised land. Now this morning we talked about uh, Joshua and how in the 13th and 14th chapters of Joshua he divided out the land the inheritance to the people and Dan had an inheritance they had a land that was open to them and it was their land and all they had to go do was go in and occupy it just like everybody else did but see jo Dan didn't want to do that see they looked around and they didn't have all the giants that Caleb had on his plot of land or some of the other giants in some of the areas they had uh, Philistines and Amorites that was dwelling there on the land that they had and they didn't think that they could take this land even though they had 64,000 warriors and when the Bible says warriors that means that they were pretty good fighting men it wasn't you know probably a whole troop of Green Beret or something because they were well trained the, the armies of Israel were well trained then and they're well trained today you don't want to mess with an Israeli army because they're powerful and they're trained well and uh, they were then too but see, they were too lazy. They went out there just like the other tribes because some of the tribes went in and possessed their land. But they thought, oh, man, we can't win this land. So they said, well, we'll just wander around and see if we can find some place that's real, real unprotected and a place that we can just walk in and take over. So they wanted to settle for something instead of getting the promise that God had promised them. And isn't that the same thing we do? God has given us promises, and instead of going for the promises that God gives us and start fighting for what he's promised us and start stepping forward and doing it in faith and doing it with the help of God to do it, we sit back and say, man, I can't do this. Man, they're too powerful. Maybe, maybe there isn't any giants, but there's sure a lot of opposition to that. Man, I don't think I want to do that. So I think I'll just settle over here and live in this little teeny tent when I could have this house over here if I just was willing to work a little harder or willing to trust God that he's going to give me that job that I need in order to do it. And so they don't have any faith, and they go over there and they settle for a little tent. You know, it's one thing living in a tent, coming up to living in a tent. If you're sleeping on the ground, a tent's great, isn't it? But if God promised you a house, why do you want to live in a tent? You know, I don't like to camp anymore. My idea of camping is with running water, a soft bed, preferably air conditioning, you know? In the hot thing, in the, you know, a place where you can get out from the bugs. That's my idea of camping. When I was younger, you know, it was a different story. I didn't mind that roughing stuff, but I don't like that roughing stuff anymore. You can have it, Susie. And anybody else, that's for the young. <laughs> See, when you get old like me, Susie, it'll be hard. <laughs> so, but anyway, we settle for so much when God wants to give us so much because he wants to give us life abundantly, and we settle for life just getting by. And that isn't God's will. And if we're happy with just getting by, we'll never ever take that extra step. We'll never trust God to be able to give us more, even though he wants to, just like you as a parent. You know, if you're in, in a position to buy your kids some, some things, some shoes, and they need some shoes, and if you have the finances available to you and they want some uh, Air Jordans, and they cost more than the little uh, specials that they have, that whatever, hey, why not, you know, why not the, the air? Why not the Michael Jordan shoes if that's what they want? See, well, that's what we do with God. God wants to give us the Michael Jordan shoes. But we'll say, oh, no, God, that's all right. We know you're busy. 
and we'll just settle for these, these $3.99 ones on sale when God would give you the Nikes if we asked for them. But see, it takes a little more faith. See, we can believe God for the little, little $3.99 stuff, but if the $100 stuff, hey, now that's a different story. Now, I'm not talking specifically about shoes. Of course you know that. <laughs> I'm talking about other things in our life that God wants to give us. If we would just step out in faith and say, God promised me this, I want it, and be willing to fight for it instead of settling. And I know that we have this friend that lives in, well, they're in uh, Texas now, I believe, or New, New Mexico. But they were part of our first family when we was over in Colorado. And I was talking to her, and he got transferred from uh, Texas to New Mexico. And they'd been trans transferred over a year ago. And they've been trying to get rid of that house, and they just can't sell it. Of course, you know, the market's kind of really hard right now. And uh, it's hard to, to get rid of anything in this day and age unless you want to really take a beating on it. So she's been trying to sell this house for a year. And, and she's been living kind of out of a suitcase type thing because she don't have the money to buy another house because it's all tied up in over there and all her furniture is still in the house because she doesn't want to pay to store it. Might as well leave it in the house. So she's in this catch-22. And she says, I've been praying for God's will to, have, to sell that house. And I've been praying that if we want to do his will. And I listened to her for a while. And I said, finally, I says, um, well, what do you want to do? What would you like to do? And it was almost like, I want to do God's will. And I says, okay, but if you could do anything you wanted to do, what would you like to do? And she says, well, I'd like to go buy this house over here. And I'd like to sell this one. And I says, well, why don't you pray that? See, we're not very specific in our prayers. That's the biggest problem that we have. We usually pay for a pair of shoes or we pay for a car. Well, why not pay for a specific car? It's just as easy for God to give you the car you want. It's just uh, transportation that's going to break down every five minutes, isn't it? And I says, why don't you start praying specific prayers, tell God exactly what you want, and then tell him you're willing, Lord, if he wants to change your heart about the thing, because if you have a desire for this, Hey, maybe this is God's will for your life. Wow, what a concept. Doesn't make sense that God put a desire in our heart and then not meet it, would it? So she says, okay. So I talked to her, I guess, for about an hour. And I prayed with her. The very Within three hours, the real estate agent called and says, we have an offer on your house. <laughs> I said, praise the Lord. And... Uh, so they got an offer on that house, and then she said she's gonna, she'd already made an arrangement to go look at this other house, but she really wanted the other house, but it was too expensive. They, they wouldn't come down on the price or whatever. So I says, well, okay, just pray for it. So then about the next day or two days later, she called back, said that they called us back, and they lowered it within $5,000, which is a lot of money. You know, they already dropped it $25,000 over the thing and put it in their ballpark. I says, see, just easy to pray for what you want. Be specific. Don't settle. You don't have to settle. As Christians, we don't have to settle. We have promises from God. Now, I'm not saying if you serve God, you're going to get a brand new house, and you can go pray, pray for that house, especially if you don't have enough income to make the payments. <laughs> that's not very smart either, and that's why we, we ended up in the mess we are, is because people bought stuff they shouldn't have bought. But um, generally, so a lot of times, though, we have not because we ask not, and we're afraid to ask for something because we don't want to appear selfish. But sometimes God would love to bless us if he would just let him. we got to let God bless us sometimes. It builds our faith. It lets us know that God does love us. So anyway, that, that was extra. That had nothing to do with anything in the notes. 
So what's your, you know, usual, huh, huh Dwayne? <laughs> like those rabbit trails. So anyway, here they are, and they send out five army rangers, the equivalent of army rangers, spies out to the land to see what's going on, to look it out, because they don't want to just go in there, because even though there were 600 of, 600 of them, they didn't want to just go in there and get beat up, so they was kind of looking around, spying out all areas and looking for places that they could stay. And so they send their five warriors, the five army rangers, because they were all warriors, basically, to look for a place that they could go. Well, how are they protected? And all the things that bound, are around them so they could find that place. And in um, verse, eight, uh, verse 7 of Judges 18, it says, The five men left and headed north to Laj, and they saw that the people there were living in safety under the umbrella of the Sidonians, quiet and unsuspecting. They had everything going for them, but the people lived a long way from si the Sidons, to the west and had no treaty with Armenians to the left. Now the, the spies come back and they report, man, this place isn't protected at all. Man, it's just like a sitting duck there. They had no protection. They had nothing. Man, this is going to be the perfect place for us to go. It's just waiting for somebody to come in and attack them. And um, in verse uh, 21 it says, they turned away and set out putting the children, the cattle, and the gear in the, in the lead. Now, they were so confident that this city was so unprotected that they didn't bother sending the soldiers out there to defeat the city and then come back and get the wife and kids. They carried it all with them. They were so confident about the victory of defeating this city that they brought their wives, their kids, and their U-Hauls with them, just ready to move right in and set up house. And that's what they did. Now, the same thing, the three things that, that was the downfall of this city here and why this city fell was the same things that can be our downfall as Christians. And that's what I want to look at, using those things to relate to our own lives. Now, the first thing that makes a city, made the city vulnerable was pride. Now, in verse 7, it said, So the five men went out of the town of Laish, and they noticed the people living carefree lives, like the Sidonians. They were peaceful and secure. The people were also wealthy because their land was very fertile, and they lived a great distance from Sidon and had no allies nearby. The city wasn't protected. It wasn't guarded. The walls, the gates of the city were evidently open all the time. And the walls were probably falling down. And they weren't even concerned. See, that's, that's the scary part about it. They were so undefensible, and anybody could just walk in, and they didn't care. They, they were so proud of what they had that they didn't think anybody could come in and take it from them. And that's one of the biggest flaws that they had. They said, hey... They had the attitude, hey, I'm not worried about nothing. I'm a, I live in this city, and we're, we're neat, and we're having our own good thing, and, and we're part of the Sidonians, but they're way over there, but that doesn't matter. We're just going to live here in our happy little, little town and live our own lives. And they were so confident that they didn't know they were even in danger. Not only pride, but arrogance. I think pride and arrogance kind of goes hand in hand a little bit, doesn't it? So... They say that pride is the soul that breeds a careless attitude. So if we live a careless attitude, it's because we have pride. We're so secure in our own abilities and other things that we have, we're not worried about it. Rich people are very, usually very proud people. They don't worry about, of course, they don't worry about money like we do. You know, they go out and drop money like it's nothing. But us, you know, it means a lot to us, so we got to be careful. But see, when you, you, you look at these people that, won, that win the lottery, they win the lottery, $25 million. In a couple of years, all the money's gone because they lived careless lives. They had all their confidence and everything in that money, and they, they went and blew it all. 
careless. When you're careless, you just leave yourself open to defeat, or like they did, defeat. Obadiah 1.3 says, The pride of thine heart hath deceived thee. Pride deceives us. That's one of the biggest problems with it. It deceives us. It makes us think we're secure and we're not. See, they thought they were secure, and they should have known better. You walk down, the gates are open, the walls are falling apart, and you got a beautiful land to live that's very fertile, it grows stuff really well. That's a nice place to live. Why, why they didn't think someone else might want it, I, it amazes me. But they didn't. Uh, Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Every time you get prideful, just wait. <laughs> just wait. Keep, keep living and walking in pride. Sooner or later, you're going to stumble. You're going to trip. First, uh, Proverbs 18, 12 says, Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty, and before honor is humility. So if you want to be honored... Be humble, because it doesn't make sense. When we're proud of our accomplishments, when we're proud of the things that we've done, and that's all we look about and we try to uh, live our lives on our accomplishments, we're opening ourselves up to be defeated or to fall. A careless life will lead to destruction. Dwight L. Moody said, he, be humble or you'll stumble. Now, the biggest barrier between Christians is God's power is our own strength. I can do it. Now, we learned this morning that, that uh, Caleb, he was strong. He said, I'm just as strong today as I was 45 years ago. But see, he knew his strength was in God. And he wasn't relying on his own strength. He was relying on God's strength. But he had to put on his work clothes and go do the job. But see, when you, want to have, when you have pride, you can say, I can do it. How many times do we do it or try to do it without God? Every time I go out and, you know, it's almost like we say, oh, don't worry about God, I got this one. Don't worry about it, I got this one. And every time we try to go out and do something in our own strength, we fall. Face flat because we're trying to do it in our own strength. And we let pride get in our hearts. Because if we didn't have pride in our hearts, we wouldn't try to do it on our own. A little kid, you know, they're trying, they got something, some challenge that they have. They don't have a problem coming and ask Daddy to help them do it. They, they know they can't do it. See, that's the problem with us when we get older. We think we can do anything. And we can't. We can do a lot of things. But whatever we can do, God can make it easier for us to do that job, no matter what it is, even in your everyday life. That's why it's important when you go to work to go to work in God's strength. Go to work. Do the, I don't care if you do the same job day after day after day after day after day. We can still do it in God's strength. And when we do that job in God's strength, when you come home, you find out you're not as tired. It's amazing, you know, if you do it in God's strength and you ask him to help you, instead of going there, I can do this, I do this with my eyes closed. Our pastor used to tell us, I've preached for 40 years. And I think that I could probably preach a sermon without God's help, but I wouldn't dare. <laughs> and that's being smart, because when we try to do something without God's help, pride enters in and we're, we're going to fall. We're going to fall flat on our face. And I don't want to ever do anything without God's help because I'm just asking for trouble, just like this, uh, this city did. Uh, two Texans were trying to impress each other with the size of their ranches. One asked the other, what's the name of your ranch? The Rocking R, ABC, Flying W Circle, C, Bar U, Staple 4, Box D, Rolling M, Rainbow's End, Silver Spur Ranch. The other rancher was very impressed and explained, whew, that is some name. How many head of cattle do you run? Not many. 
Few of them survived the branding. <laughs> and that's what happens when we have pride. We won't survive it. We can't survive it because we're not designed to be pride-filled people. We're, we're designed to be faith-filled people. And when we have pride, we say, I can do it. When we have faith, we can say, God can do it through me. And sometimes God does it without me. See, God can do it without me, but I can't do it without God. The children of Israel, when they come out of Egypt, God did a lot of stuff for them. He fed them. He, he made sure their clothes didn't wear out, their shoes didn't wear out. They didn't have to do anything to go out there and pick up the manna and cook it. The women had to work. They had to cook the stuff. <laughs> and then walk and what, stand in the door of the tent and wait till they moved it. Okay, we're moving. Let's go, kids. And they just followed wherever somebody left. Other than that, they didn't do anything. Gather firewood or something. I don't know. But God took care of them completely. But see, when, you, when they got out of there, God wanted them to do something. They said they got lazy. They didn't want to do it themselves. They wanted God to do that too. Well, God says, hey, we're in this together. And God wants us to be in it with him. He wants to help us. There's certain things he does for us that uh, it's great. And I'm thankful for those times that God intervenes and he does something for me without my help. But I'm, I'm really thankful for the times that he lets me help him. Because it really makes you feel good knowing that God helped you to do something. Because then you have to give God the glory and not yourself. And when you're aware that God's the one that does it, then you don't get prideful because you didn't do it. No matter what you do in your life, God gave you the abilities to do it. Our, our pastor used to say that, that, well, told us about this guy that came in and he was talking to him and he was taking him a tour of the facilities. And we had, well, we had about, I don't know, about five, six separate buildings, I think, outbuildings that they had. And they were about a million dollars a piece. And he got those, which was another miracle. We had a lady from the church. She went in every day because she knew they was going to get rid of these buildings because they had to move. She went in every day and prayed for them. Lord, I'm claiming these buildings for your kingdom. I'm claiming these. And went around and laid her hands on all of them and prayed for them. Said, they've had them long enough. It's about time Christians got something. So she went and laid her hands on all those buildings. And we got five of them. Each one was worth about a million dollars. We got each one of them for $40,000. Hey, now once in a while God can do that. But see, if she hadn't went out and laid her hands on that and started praying and claiming them for God, say, God, we need these. We want these. We've got to have these. We wouldn't have got them. There's no doubt in my mind, see, because God works through us. And when he does it, we don't have no reason to brag or anything because we didn't do it. When we, when we start bragging about what we've done, look out. Because <laughs> God may back off his hand just for a minute to see how good you can do. Like pushing the kid on the bike. You know, you're holding them, whatever, for the kid, and you let go of that, until <laughs> they learn how to do it. Well, that's what happens when we get involved with pride and we try to do it ourselves. The second thing that caused the city to uh, fall or make it uh, ready for to be conquered was lawlessness. In Judges, the, ver uh, the seventh verse of 18, in the King James Version, said, there was no magistrates in the land that might put them to shame in anything. Now, a magistrate back then was kind of like a military uh, officer, he was like a general or a major, some high official that they had, and he was responsible for the protection of the city, he was responsible for the defense of the city. And uh, so they didn't have any of that stuff. So they didn't have anybody take care of it, they had no defense and they had no offense, they had nothing. All they had was just their little pride that, hey, we're just sitting here in my four, no more attitude, and everyone did what they wanted in their own mind. If I don't think this is right, I'll do it. They had no laws. They had no authority that they were under. And every time there's no authority, 
we have a problem. Without laws, what are you going to do? Because it's laws that keep people from wickedness to a certain degree, at least the majority of people. Well, if you've got a whole city, can you imagine what this country would be like if we didn't have any laws? And anybody could do whatever they wanted to, and it didn't matter. You know, you go down the street, I don't like you. I don't like you. What would stop people from doing it? Nothing. So we need laws. And if there's no laws, we're in deep trouble. And they didn't have any. Everybody did whatever they wanted to do. And they also had, um, <clears throat> they didn't have any laws, and they didn't have no defense. Now, pretty soon, if they keep selling out all our defense, we're not going to have any defense either. They're selling away or getting rid of all this stuff for our defense. Now, America is strong because of our defense. We use our offense sometimes, but they're afraid of us because of our defense. And I know that when the, I think it was Hitler or Japan, one of the others, the reason they didn't invade America says those Americans have guns in every home. So we don't want to fight them because we'd lose. No matter how many people they had, you go into a house and everybody's got a gun, that's pretty scary. Huh, darling? <laughs> Anyway, but uh, so guns and things like that and laws are for protection, but they didn't have any. They didn't have no laws and they didn't have no protection. They didn't have any, they didn't care or have a care in the world. And it wasn't, it's never safe for somebody to do whatever they want. I can't even imagine this nation. We're getting there. We passed a lot of laws that I disapprove of. And I think that our nation is going to suffer because of some of the things that they're doing. And I know they're going to suffer as far as God's judgments is concerned. But you can't make it legal to kill babies and get away with it. You can't legalize homosexuality and call it lifestyle and expect God's blessing on your life. You can't walk the paths that God says not to walk and expect God's blessing on your life. And I'm amazed that the people, they think, well, I go to church once a week. It's okay. Hey, all right, I go to church. Big deal. You may even pay your tithes. Well, big deal. If you're living a lawless, unrighteous life, you're still going to be blessed, not blessed by God. You're going to be judged. If not in this life, then the next. Because God doesn't like that. He didn't make us like that. And the bad thing about laws is that if they're perverted. We have a lot of perverted laws too, don't we? We see a lot of that today. See, God's word is our rule of faith and the practice that we have today. As Christians, this is our, this is our law. This is our rule of faith. And we know that if we do everything this book tells us to do the best that we can, we're going to have God's blessing on our life. If we run across the scripture and it says don't do this and we do do that, then guess what? God's going to paddle your butt. <laughs> Sooner or later, that's going to happen. I've been paddled a few times in my life. How many of you have? Yeah? And I'm usually more stubborn than a lot of people, so sometimes he has to knock me down before he be paddles me, let me know that, I, that he wasn't happy with it. But anyway, I try to be a little more sensitive because this book will keep you from sin. That's the reality of it. If you don't read this book... You don't know what's in it, so it doesn't matter. You do whatever you want to in your own mind. But if you read this book, then you know what God has to say about things, and all of a sudden, you won't be doing those things because you know it's wrong. And then when you start doing those things, then God will say, hey, stop it right there, just like you did with your kids when they were doing something. They grabbed something, slapped their hands. Well, sometimes God slaps our hands. In uh, Job 1.10, it says, You have always put a wall of protection around him, and his home and his property. You have made him a pro made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. Now, of course, we know this was talking about Job. See, we as Christians, God puts a wall of protection around us. That is the ones that are living for him. See, Job lived for God. He was a righteous man. 
And when you're a righteous person and you try to do what God wants you to do, he builds a wall of protection about us. Now, sometimes we allow the walls to get broken down or wore down, and then things happen to us because we forget, well, oh, I haven't prayed for a week. Oh, well, I'll catch up next week. I'll start over next week. And next thing we know, that wall of protection starts to crumble because we don't have it. Because we we got to have God's word in our hearts and in our lives for that protection to work. It isn't like a one-time thing that you have to do. You have to do it consistently. You have to consistent righteous life. And then sometimes God lets the barrier down just like he did to Job to test him. He's, you know, kind of show off, Job. See, this is my servant. No matter what you do to him, he's going to serve me because he loves me. Now, man, I'd love to have God testify me about me like that, wouldn't you? You can do whatever you want. Job will never curse me. He loves me, and he's going to serve me irregardless of it, regardless of what you do to him. I'd like to have that testimony said of me. It's real easy when things are going good and we're prospering, isn't it? But when we're not, oh, it's a different story. Then we say, God, what are you doing? What's going on here? How come you let this happen? Well, if we tracked our actions, we'd probably find out that somewhere down the road we let, our, let something down, and God didn't do it. He allowed it because we did this. So, in Psalms 119, it says, Oh, how I love your instruction. I think about them all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are my constant guide. Yes, I have more insight than my teachers, for I'm always thinking of your laws. I am even wiser than my elders, for I have kept your commandments. I have refused to walk on any evil path, so I may remain obedient to your word. I haven't turned away from your regulations, for you have taught me well. How sweet your words taste to me. They are sweeter than honey. Your commandments give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way of life. The more we get God's word into our lives, the more we won't want to do the evil things that we end up doing sometimes because we couldn't think about it. Righteousness drives out unrighteousness because it's not comfortable there. You bring a light into a dark room, the darkness leaves. And darkness is absence of light. You can't create darkness real easy. The only way to get rid of darkness is remove the light. And when we're light, the more light we have, the brighter things go. And the same thing happens in our life. The more God lives within our heart, the brighter our lives are, the happier we are, and the less problems bother us. And the law of God will strengthen us and keep us from the attacks of Satan, the appeal of sin, and selfish ambitions. That's the reality of it. But we have to put the effort in to be able to keep our walls up. We have to go out there and check the mortar. We have to go out there and make sure the bricks are tight and all those other kind of things. We do that in our life spiritually. But they didn't do that. So they were open to defeat because they were, they were lawless. They didn't care about any laws. They didn't care about anything. The third thing that they did was the loneliness, not in the sense that they were uh, lonely like some people sit, you know, when they're all lonely because they don't have any company. They were, they were out there by themselves. They had no protection. They had no allies to help them. Uh, verses, verse 28 in Judges, it said, there was no one, around, no one around to help. They were a long way from Sidon and had no treaty with our Medians. Laish was the, in the valley of Beth Rehob. They didn't care about being out there all by themselves because they had pride in their heart. They knew nobody's going to bother them. They didn't care about anybody else, and they weren't worried about anybody else that came in. See, that's the problem with Christians sometimes. You know, we get saved and we have an experience with God, and then we go out there <coughs> and we live our lives, and we don't go to church, we don't, we don't pray, we don't read our Bible, we don't do anything. 
And when we do that, we're setting ourselves up for the devil to come in and defeat us because we're all alone. And that isn't God's will. God created the church for us to be a fellowship to help strengthen one another. So when you stumble and fall, somebody's there to help you get up. That's why we need each other. We need each other as a body of believers. And God didn't create lone, lone ranger Christians. He didn't create us that way. He created us to be part of a body, part of a fellowship. And he wants us to be involved and be faithful to come to church. Because if we don't, then we're going to end up just sitting ducks for the devil. And he's going to come up and he's going to sneak up and get us. And we're not even going to see the enemy when he comes. Because we're out there all by ourselves without any protection. And our walls are starting to tear down and those kind of things. Two boys were hoeing the garden and the big jet flew overhead. I would hate to be up there in that plane, remarked one boy. The other boy quickly answered, I would hate to be up there without the plane. <laughs> and that's what it's, I'd hate to be in this world without the church. Because this is our, this is our family, this is our fellowship that, that we have. This is, we gain strength from each other. Fellowship is important. God created us to have fellowship with one another. He knew that we didn't want us to be alone. He created Eve for Adam because he said it's not good for man to be alone. Well, it's not good for Christians to be alone without being part of the body. We help each other. We strengthen each other. We're accountable to each other. When you're not accountable to anybody, hey, well, the things we do. You know, a lot of people say, you know, would you, I've heard here was a while back they had a thing saying, would you murder somebody for a million dollars if you knew you couldn't, wouldn't get caught? Now, it's amazing how many people said that they would, <laughs> you know. If I knew I wouldn't get caught, I'd do it. I was kind of amazed with that answer. I like to think that, no, that most people wouldn't, but it isn't. That, that desire for money and stuff like that oversupersedes that. And there's so many people that go out and they do things and they get caught and then they're sorry. Why aren't they sorry before they get caught? Why didn't they think ahead? Well, see, they never think they're going to get caught because, see, they live above the law. Well, sooner or later, that, that's pride. Pride got them. And then they do what they want. They have no authority in their life. And without this Bible, we have no authority in our life. If, we, if we're trying to live out there by ourselves, sooner or later, we're going to get, we're going to get caught. Uh, and now to Ecclesiastes, the fourth chapter. I'm going to reach a few verses there. Starting in verse 9. It says, two people are better than one, for they can help each other succeed. Two people are better than one. They, we help each other. It's a lot easier to move a rock or pull a tree stump or something if you've got two people than it is if you just got one. In verse 10, it says, if one falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. And likewise, two people lying together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. In Leviticus 26, it says, Five of you will be able to defeat a hundred, and a hundred will be able to defeat ten thousand. When we're together, we have power. We have strength. And nobody's going to, if this city would have been protected and they had an army and something protected, they wouldn't have tried to even think about taking it over. In a Peanuts cartoon, Lucy demanded Linus change the TV, threatening him with her fist if he didn't. What makes you think you can walk right in here and take over, Linus asked Lucy. These five fingers, answered Lucy. Individually, they are nothing, 
but when I curl them together, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. What channel do you want, asked Linus. <laughs> See, and that's the church, you know, like this, you know, big deal. But you go like this, man, there's power in that fist. And that's what God designed the church to be, a tight-knit group to where we can help each other, go through the problems of life that we go through to pray for each other and help if we need help. That's why God created the body. <laughs> There's strength in the church. Now, the five, tri the five spies from the tribe of Dam recognized the city, the city of Lige, that it was an easy city to defeat. Are we an easy city to defeat? Are we full of pride, lawlessness, and have my lone Christian attitude? If we have those three things in our life, then we're opening ourselves up and saying, devil, here, have at it. The gates are open. Come on in. But if we avoid these things, then our city is safe and our life is safe. A man got in trouble and went to D.L. Moody for help. Weeping, he asked, what would you do if you were in my place? Moody replied, I would not have gotten in your place in, to begin with. Best way to stay away from defeat is don't get involved in stuff in the first place. Don't keep your city gates closed. Don't let the, the devil get in there. Don't be lawless. Let God's word guide you and direct you. And don't be a lone soldier. Be part of the body. Don't stay at home when you can be here because you're weakening yourself. You may not think it, think it does, but it eventually will. And you say, oh, it's not a big deal if I miss Wednesday night. It's not a big deal if I miss Sunday night. It's not a big deal if I miss once in a while. Well, it probably isn't, generally speaking. But the problem is it becomes easier and easier every week to miss more. And pretty soon, it's been two weeks since you've been to church. And then it's been three, and everybody's wondering, what happened to you? You were so strong. What happened? Well, you left your gate open. You let pride come in thinking that you could do it on your own. You could live for Jesus on your own. No one can live for Jesus on their own. It's not God's will. And that isn't the way he designed us to be. Let's pray. I pray, Father, Lord, I thank you for this day, Lord, and thank you.